I just want to say um, not just how proud I am of our church family, but of you this morning. I was just waiting for some of y'all to call Renee on her phone during that kid's sermon, and none of you did. I'm very proud. You're much better people than our 1045 crew. Okay, uh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen at 1045. We're continuing in a series on the minor prophets. Each week we're visiting one key theme that we see in this book. There are so many other themes, and each week I may touch on some. We don't have time this morning, Uh, but at least we'll take up one key thing. But in each one of them, we're seeing, as we did a couple of weeks ago, we we saw the love of God. You can't miss that in the minor prophets. And we're going to talk in coming weeks about the judgment of God and the justice of God of God. Today I want us to talk about the answers of God uh, that we find in this book. But I want to go back to chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles open, I just want to look at a couple of side roads before we get into chapter 3. Just some reminders. First from verse 1 of this oracle, another understanding of that word in the Hebrew is burden. This burden that this prophet, and you see it in Jeremiah and other prophets when they share They're not just sharing a word of warning and judgment. It really becomes, and again, this word burden is actually related to the word heart. This is something that's in their heart, and that's why they're burdened to do what they do. It's the same thing you see as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke in August and in our Wednesday series. It's the same kind of word that that Jesus talks about in Luke 7 when he has compassion for a widow who lost her son, or it's the reason a good Samaritan gets down to help. He's moved in his heart heart and in his belly. Luke 15, it's why the father races towards his prodigal son. This is a burden that we see in this prophet for his people. You, many of us, have come to this room with a burden, a burden that the grace of Christ or the love of Christ or the holiness of Christ would be evident in in our own lives, but maybe we're carrying a burden for a friend, a child, a grandchild, a co-worker, somebody in our neighborhood, this prophet is burdened for what's about to happen uh, to uh, the people of God. It's a deep burden. It's not just national sins. There's a whole lot of that here. But you read the the whole of this book, you're going to see a lot of personal sins, people who are not pursuing the Lord in their lives. But here is his burden. And because of this burden, and I think it's one of the great gifts we can have, is to really be burdened for those who we love and to take them to the Lord. Well, here's what he does. He takes that burden and he goes to God with his questions. He doesn't just leave it with himself. He doesn't sit there and sulk, but he goes to God who can do something about it. And so the second thing we see, not only we see his burden, but we see in verse 1 he goes to God and asks his questions. Listen, you go through the Psalms, you go through Jeremiah, there's this constant question. It's the same question that you see here in verse 1. How long? It's the question my son would ask my wife. Seth would ask my wife all the time when we were at New Albany. I'd be preaching, and he would say, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer? That's a constant question in the Old Testament. When people are going through it, maybe because of their own sin or just life stuff has happened, How long, oh God, how long are we going to have to sing this song? He takes his questions to the Lord. Job will tell you, take your questions. Jonah will tell you, take your questions. And we see it here as well from this prophet. Take your questions to the Lord. Thomas did. 
I mean, most of the disciples, one of the great marks of being a disciple is going to your Savior with your questions. Don't hold back from doing that. Mother Teresa, even late in her life, as they looked through her memoirs, they found she was still having struggles with doubts and was asking God questions. Why this suffering? Why this evil? This prophet certainly could ask that. Our, our students sometimes sing the song Grace Like Rain by Todd Agnew. He did a whole album on that. Just questions that he has for God. Questions because of suffering in the world and evil in the world. We even told our confirmands a week ago when we kicked off confirmation, this is a season for you to learn about faith, but to ask your questions, to really own your faith. And it's not just a question how long, but go down to verse 3, and he says, why me? I like what G. Campbell Morgan says. He wrote a book on the Minor Prophets, and he says, if you say you have no questions, I question the strength of your faith. And yet, oh, these paradoxes, these contradictions of spiritual life. It is the man of faith who, having the problem, always finds its solution. Not always in an immediate explanation of the problem confronted, but in the new confidence that God can make no mistake. Just trusting his sovereignty, trusting his goodness, even in the midst of, and you see it here, suffering. Why us? You're going to use, and it's not just why us, but why them? You're going to use these Chaldeans. You're going to let these people who do horrifically immoral things, these people who are people of violence, and I can't even begin to describe to you some of the violence. Ask Jonah some of the violence uh, that these people do, and they're people of many gods, and you're going to use them. How long, verse 13, and why them? Maybe we ask that question when we see sinners prosper, or you do the right thing and you get crushed. Or maybe it seems like God is absent. And so we ask the question, how long? Why me? Why them? Dr. Matthew Sleeth graduated number one in his medical class, uh, married the wife of his dreams, had two children, and was living what many would say was the American dream. But he would tell you he was not a believer. He was an atheist. And even though he had everything this world could give you at his fingertips, he would say, I knew something was missing. And I, he said, I scrambled. I tried. I read the Bhagavad Gita. I read the Quran. I read everything to get my hands on. What is out there that could give me fulfillment and purpose and answer me, for me the great questions of life? And in the midst of that, more questions came when his uh, wife's brother drowned in front of his wife and in front of his own kids and having to walk with them through that. How, how do you get your head around that? And then his wife slips into a deep depression. How, how do I get through that? And then just a month or two later, his neighbor's pounding on his door. What can I help you with? I need you to come with me right now. You've got to go help me pick up my son from school. My husband was on the first plane that hit the tower. How do you get through that? How do you minister when you don't have a God and you don't have a faith? How do you how do, you, how do you help in that situation? And then soon after that, he has, his, has a heart attack, and he's in the hospital, and he sees a Bible. The Gideons have left the Bible, and he said, you know, I've read everything else. And so he stole that Bible. <laughs> he wasn't a believer then. He just, no, you know, I, he just took it. 
And he read through the Gospel of Matthew because his name is Matthew. And he said, I'm so thankful my parents didn't name me Leviticus or Numbers. So anyway, <laughs> picks up the Gospel of Matthew with where can I find purpose, but what do you do with the world? I, I, I have everything in this life, and I, I'm struggling. And what about evil? And what about suffering? And in the cross, in the cross, he found his answer and came to faith. Asking questions, yes. God allows for that, calls for that. In the end, Dr. Sleeth comes to faith. In the end, when we get to the end of Habakkuk, um, he ends in praise as well. All those questions, why me, how long, he ends with praise and trust. I like what retired uh, Mississippi Methodist pastor Martin Case says. There's so much hurt around us, and many of us have been through it. But in the end, at the end of time, when we finally see why God allowed that, we're going to praise him for his wisdom. May not be able to see that in this day, but we're just going to we're going to still be at the feet of Jesus, praising him, even in the midst of some really bad things that have happened to many of us in this room and for, and for those watching. We're going to still be able to praise his name. Burden, questions, and then you go down to verse 5 in chapter 1. You also see God's answer. Throughout Scripture, God sometimes... And Dr. Sleeth talked about this. He said, Jesus showed up to my wife later. He didn't show up to me. He was kind of mad about it. But Jesus showed up and spoke to his wife later and brought her to faith. In Job, God shows up and answers his questions. Job, where were you when I did this and made this? For some of us, we've had that experience of a gift of tongues or an audible voice. Most of us don't get that. Sometimes we just... Know and trust in Psalm 73 when he says, when I thought how to understand this, whatever he's going through in Psalm 73, it was too painful to me. But it ends with this. But it is good for me to draw near to God and I have put my trust in the Lord God. Whatever is going on with that family member or at work or in, your, in the community, I'm just going to trust. I haven't heard an audible voice, uh, but I'm just simply going to Trust. Maybe sometimes, like Jonah, we get to actually see the activity of God and what he does. We'll get to see that. Sometimes, as Paul says, his spirit will testify to our spirit that we are his. Some of us get that gift. As, of t as we are today, his word always has a word. That, this is primarily how God speaks. He can speak through our prayer life. He can speak audibly. He can speak through circumstances. But typically, this is how... God speaks is through his word. And here's the kicker. You and I then, having been people who've studied his word and the, one who, and the ones who love his word, sometimes even you, sometimes even me, get to be his voice to others who are struggling, to be the very presence and word of God to people. God answers. God is a God who can take our questions, take them to him, but he's also a God who shares and speaks to his people. He is not silent forever. And my, our Sunday school class, Ben, what does our Sunday school teacher quote all the time? He quotes this book, and, which says, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hurries 
toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it delays, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay long. God always speaks and answers. It may take a season. We wait and we listen for his answer is coming. Ultimately, it comes for Habakkuk and his people, and it comes for us in Christ Jesus, of whom the prophets speak. Do you have a burden? Do you have a burden to share of the Lord? Take that burden and ask the questions you need to ask and listen for the answer of God. And maybe for somebody this week, you can even be a part of God's answering to their questions. If you're following along in your notes, we're, we're, we're going to skip chapter 2. Because, and, and I understand why Habakkuk would have trouble with how God is disciplining his people and rightly disciplining them for national sins, for personal sins. I'll let you see what ends up happening uh, to the Chaldeans. Yes, he's going to use them as part of his discipline, but, but, but those who have been known to plunder others, they themselves will be plundered. And you see the results of that here. But what I want us to do is ch- flip over now to our passage for this morning, chapter 3. And we're going to look at Habakkuk responds. How do you respond to to sin throughout your community? How do you respond to this burden you have over that, but you sure have a lot of questions and a lot of hurt over how God is even choosing to respond to that? What's your response? His first response is always the right response. It's always the response of Jesus. It's always the response of the early church, and it is to always be our first response, not to fix things, not to complain, but to pray. He prays. It's a first thing. Listen, I don't have to tell you every one of us got hit in some way last week. Maybe you got hit with disappointment, and maybe, maybe it's breaking your heart. Maybe you got hit with busyness, and you got caught up chasing after so many things. Maybe you got hit with something really good and it took your, off eye, it took your eyes off of Jesus this week. You, you, you chased something good instead of chasing God. Uh, maybe it was a hurt. Maybe it was temptation. Maybe you just got hit with, I'm just going through the motions this week. We all get hit with different things that will distract us or that might tempt us. Or maybe, again, we're confronted by the reality of suffering and evil. And it is this prophet's first response. It has to be our first response always to pray, to find ourselves on our faces before the Lord. Not only does this prophet pray, But then we also see that he actually listens to what God says in verse 2. I could just go through every relationship, work relationships with your boss or coworkers or a, a dating relationship or married or with children or grandchildren. How many of us have had issues this week in listening? How many heartaches and temptations have happened to us because we haven't listened to God's word? We haven't listened to a Christian friend. We haven't listened to the still small voice, or as Habakkuk would say in this book, God is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. I may have shared this before, but there was a a man just having his routine physical with his doctor, but he, he shared because they had been They'd been friends. He had gone to him for decades. He just said, listen, I got to let you know I'm having trouble at home. She's not listening to me. 
and I'm praying it's physical, but it may be relational, what should I do? He says, well, just, just relax. Just go up behind her tonight. Uh, when she's doing something, whatever she's doing, just go up behind her, go about 30 feet behind her and say something and see if she responds. Then go 10 feet closer, 10 feet closer and just check. So she was actually in the kitchen. It was her turn to make dinner. She's making dinner. He's 30 feet behind her. What's for dinner? Nothing. 20 feet behind her. What's for dinner? Nothing. 10 feet behind her. I'm just 10 feet behind. Come on, babe. What's for dinner? She didn't say anything. Is it physical? Is she just not acknowledging me? So finally, he just got right up behind her. Babe, what's for dinner? And she turned to him and said, for the fourth time, we're having vegetable stew. You been there? Accusing others of not listening? But it was you, God, to make your accusations as Job, Jonah, Habakkuk might do? Where are you? How long? Why are you not listening? But here's the right response. He listens. It's not God's problem. It's our problem. God says to Habakkuk and to us, you're the ones who are not listening. How is it you need to be more intentional in your prayer life with an accountability partner in your study of the word to intentionally listen to what God would say? Sometimes like Habakkuk, it's, it's tough correction. Sometimes like Hosea, it's wonderful encouragement from the Lord. But we're not gonna hear it. We're not going to hear it if we don't acknowledge our listening problem and are intentional to hear from God's word, to hear from God in our prayer life, to be accountable to another brother or sister in Christ and say, and help me hear what God's saying to me. Chapter 3, verse 2, he also has right fear before the Lord. I saw in the commercials this week that there's a new Halloween movie coming out. It's been like four or five decades. They still haven't killed that guy. But every Halloween, they've got this, this it's, it's the season to be scared. And let me, let me tell you, you read the prophets, and it's scary. Now listen, you go to Psalm 36. He says to them, there is no fear of God in most of the people's eyes. I heard a Christian author, David Thomas, speak this week at New Room Conference. And here's what he said. Church, if God only invokes our love and not our fear, that's an idol. That's an idol. If God is only the God of love, and there's no, as Renee said, right reverence before him, right fear, not misplaced fear, not wrong fear, but if we don't fear God, we've, we've missed the holy and living God. But Psalm 36 goes on to say, after that, there's no, there's no fear in people's eyes. It goes on to say, Thy loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the skies. We can't miss a right reverence before God. We said last week, if you were with us at Micah, God took our sins and he, and he took them and he placed them in the very bottom of the sea. But Habakkuk and Moses and others would remind you as well that God's done some other things with the sea to discipline and to 
correct. It's not what God wants. Matter of fact, we looked at Micah's name last week. You know what Habakkuk's name actually means if you've done some study on that? I just want to hold on to God. Let me cling. It's a great Old Testament word study, to cling. I just want to hold on. I want to cling to God. That's the desire of God, to cling with his people. They've run from him so long that he's saying, I'm going to bring these Chaldeans to discipline you so that when you go away, you can come back and I have, can have right and full relationship with you. That's, that's the heart of God for us. But we are to have right fear before him. Chapter 3, verse 18. He also then rejoices. Loved hearing that in Donna's playing, just that refrain from that chorus, to praise the Lord. Oswald Chambers says, the Bible nowhere speaks about a happy Christian. It talks plentifully of joy. Happiness demands on things that happen and may sometimes be an insult. Joyfulness is never touched by external conditions and a joyful heart is never an insult. We can be there, right? We can be there emotionally. We can be there if, if money things are good, then we're, we're good. If things are good with the kids, then I'm good. If things are good at work, then I'm good. But what you see, when things aren't good with this prophet, I'm still just rejoicing in him. Rejoice, as Paul would say, always surrounded by sin, disciplined even by pagans, this prophet rejoices. Margaret Sangster uh, Fippen uh, wrote in the 1950s that her father had this particular disease where he was losing not only functioning in his legs, but also in his speech. This kind of atrophy was happening to his muscles. A deep believer, a wonderful uh, believer, and, um, and he, he was a minister in England. And so as he began to lose the uh, function of his legs, they would have to take him uh, to church and he would preach. But as he lost uh, the function in his throat, I want to read to you what she, she said. My father threw himself into his work from home for missions, figuring he could still write. He would only have, uh, figuring uh, though he could still write, he'd only have even more time for prayer. He said, let me stay in the struggle, Lord, he pleaded. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but give, just give me a regiment to lead in prayer. She said he went on to write articles and books and help organize prayer cells throughout England. He would say, I'm only in the kindergarten of suffering is what he told people who pitied him. One particular Sunday Easter morning, uh, just weeks before he died, he wrote a letter to his daughter, and here's what he said to her. It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and not to have a voice to shout, he is risen. It's terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout, he is risen but it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. I pray you're here, even in the midst of whatever you're going through this week, I pray you're here to shout. That's Habakkuk's response. In the midst of sin and struggle and discipline, he still shouts, God is, and we'll see this in just a minute, God is good, God is strong, God is holy. And that's the last point in 319. Even in the midst of all of this, he just trusts. He trusts God because of 
who God is. You go back to chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. We hear Paul use that phrase, and it comes up multiple times in Scripture, and it's because of faith in who God is. Chapter 319, he's strong. 112, 33, he's holy. 319, he makes him to walk on the high places. If God is all those things, even in the midst of struggle, Habakkuk will trust him. In the introduction to my study Bible that I've had since college that my mom gave me, uh, in the introduction to this book, here's what it says. The more Habakkuk knows about the planner, he can trust his plans. The more he knows about the planner, who he is, his heart, his character, well, then I can trust your plans for this season of discipline. Graham Cook says, God is consistent, but he's also unpredictable. He is consistent in his nature. You always know where you are with God, but you seldom know what he's going to do next. You cannot find security in what God is doing. There is only security and who God is. He is strong. He is holy. He is good. He is love. And this prophet trusts him with it, even in the midst of chaos. How is it you and I need to respond to this, his word, to have a, a deeper burden for those going through a season of struggle, to, to actually take our questions before God and to allow him to speak and to make sure we still ourselves and listen through people, through his word, through a still small voice, would you speak? How is it with your prayer life? When something happens, you bump into something? Are you scrambling to tell everybody? Are you going about trying to control and fix things? Or are you routinely finding yourself on your face in prayer? How is it, even in the midst of a struggle, you can make sure to be a person who trusts the Lord and finds themselves in their praise? Let's pray about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. It speaks to us in so many ways about who you are, about trusting your sovereign work, even in the midst of real questions and real struggle. Father, whatever we need to bring to you today, whether it's confession, whether it's a trusting heart, maybe it's a concern or a burden for somebody else, and we need to give, give them to you, stop trying to control Father, if we've not lived reverently before you, we've not rightly feared you, whatever it is, Father, we trust you. We trust your heart and your goodness. We give you these things asking for your perfect will that we be rightly obedient to your leading this day. We trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.